0: Jesus is saying that when government or government officials attack our personal liberty, we are not to respond with resentment, anger, grudges, and acts of personal revenge.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. If you're a follower of Christ, when people sin against you, is your response more like Christ or that of unbelievers around you? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom has part 7 for us today of his current series titled An Eye for an Eye, looking at the topic of retaliation and personal justice through Matthew chapter 5. Tom is comparing how the religious leaders in Jesus' day had begun to interpret the popular teaching of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth with what Scripture really teaches. The saying's basic truth forms the bedrock upon which all good legal systems are based, and that is, the punishment must fit the crime. But what about intrusion by the government on personal liberty? What are your true rights? Let's find out now as we join our teacher here on The Word Unleashed.
0: Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now the theme of this paragraph is important for us to grasp, because all of these verses ultimately relate back to this theme. The theme is this, when we are wronged, when we are sinned against, Jesus will not allow us as his disciples to harbor grudges or to seek personal revenge. We first examine the popular misunderstanding of an eye for an eye. That expression comes from the Old Testament law. So we started by looking exactly at what is it the Old Testament means by this command. And when we looked at the three places in the Old Testament where these words appear, in context it becomes very clear that the Old Testament law was intended to be a protection against personal vengeance. And wherever this law occurs, it was not given to individuals to carry it out, but rather it was the standard by which Israel's judges were to pass their sentences that were prescribed for various wrongdoing. In other words, the basic point this law was making is the foundation of all good legal systems, and that is the punishment must fit the crime. In the ancient world, that was a revolutionary thought. This isn't a barbaric command at all. This is, in essence, the heart of a just legal system. The punishment must fit the crime. That's what the law taught. Unfortunately, the scribes and Pharisees had made this law something entirely different. They taught that this law permitted, even encouraged, personal retaliation. What God had intended to be a protection against personal revenge, they turned into biblical justification for revenge. Jesus told his disciples that the scribes and Pharisees had gotten it all wrong. And then he turned to give us his own revolutionary teaching about personal revenge. In verses 39 to 42, Jesus says they're wrong in what they did with that Old Testament law. Now, let me tell you how you should respond when you are personally wronged. He begins with a general principle in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Or you could put it this way, a person who intends evil to you is the idea. The word resist has the idea of setting yourself in opposition, Jesus says when someone personally wrongs you, you are not to set yourself in hostile opposition to that person who has sinned against you. There's the general principle. And let's just be frank with one another, that is exactly what we're tempted to do. When someone wrongs us, when someone offends us in any way, our first reaction as human beings is to set ourselves in hostile opposition to declare war, if you will, against that person and to return in kind what they have done to us. Jesus says, not if you're my follower. And then Jesus proceeds to give us four specific examples. Four specific examples of what that Principle looks like fleshed out in life in the first century. Now, the examples he gives are tied to life in the first century, but the principles behind them are absolutely timeless. And again, we've looked at a couple of these. Let me just remind you of of what we've studied so far. The first example he gives is how do you respond to intentional attacks on your personal dignity? Look at verse 39. After the general principle, the second half of the verse, he says, Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, this is not about self defense. The Bible allows that. This is not about uh, whether or not a Christian should be involved in war. That's a different story. We looked at that briefly in other places in Scripture. This is about being insulted. In the first century, if you wanted to insult someone in a gross way, you would backhand them with your right hand across their right cheek. That was an intentional insult. It was an intentional violation of their personal dignity. Jesus says, okay, how do you respond when your personal dignity is affronted? When you are insulted in whatever form. Look at verse 39. Turn the other cheek to him also. In other words, don't slap him back. Don't return the insult. And in fact, if necessary, turn the other cheek and let him insult you again. Be so far from personal revenge that you endure that assault on your dignity without striking back in kind. Don't harbor grudges. And don't pursue revenge when someone violates your personal dignity. The second example Jesus gives, and again, we've looked at this as well, has to do with intentional attacks on your personal property. Verse 40, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. The shirt was the the inner garment that a man wore, one loose-fitting robe, that hung over the head and down to about the knees, and the coat was the outer garment that he wore. It kept him warm, and even for a poor person, was a blanket at night. Jesus says, if someone wants to sue you with evil intent and motive, don't you dare misuse the command about an eye for an eye as an excuse to harbor a grudge and to carry out your own personal revenge. In fact, Jesus says... If you have only two alternatives, if on the one hand you can seek personal revenge and the only other alternative you have is to literally give up the shirt off your back, all of your property, then give up all of your property if those are your only two alternatives. That's how strongly our Lord feels about seeking personal revenge. Now that brings us to fresh territory and the third example that comes in verse 41 and it concerns governmental attacks on our personal liberty. In verse 41, there is a word that is very clearly a word that has to do with the Roman Empire and the occupying forces that were in Israel. This is not just anybody asking you to walk a mile with him. That's not what this is about. And we'll see that when we get there. This has to do with government and government intrusion into our personal liberty. Liberty. Before we look at what it means, let's make sure again we know what it does not mean. These verses are some of the most misunderstood and abused verses in all the scripture. So let's sort of clear the ground a bit, make sure we understand what this does not mean. It is dealing with our response to government, but Jesus is not here condoning or justifying oppression by evil rulers or government officials. The, the Bible nowhere does that. In fact, read the Old Testament, and the Old Testament prophets are constantly decrying oppression by rulers and bringing God's condemnation to, to bear on it. The Old Testament's filled with that. Let me just give you one example. In Jeremiah 22, Jeremiah speaks to King Jehoiakim. Now, King Jehoiakim is one of Israel's kings. Listen to what God said to Jehoiakim. Jeremiah twenty two seventeen. 17. Your eyes... And your heart are intent only on your own dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on practicing oppression and extortion. That's Israel's king. God says, I see it, and I'm not going to tolerate it. How is God going to respond to an oppressive, wicked ruler, even on the throne of his own nation? Listen to this. Therefore, thus says the Lord in regard to Jehoiakim, they will not lament for him. In other words, God's saying, you're going to die, and when you die, nobody's going to cry about it. And he goes on to say, he will be buried with a donkey's burial, dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. God says, listen, I don't take oppressive rulers lightly. So this is not at all condoning such oppression. Another thing this doesn't mean, Jesus is not forbidding Christians from speaking out against and even seeking to change unjust or oppressive laws or unjust oppressive treatment. It's okay for you as a believer to speak out against injustice in your government and even to seek to change that injustice. You say... Is there a biblical warrant for that? Absolutely. The strongest biblical warrant, our Lord himself. You remember that during his Jewish trial, he called for the law to be followed. You remember at one point Jesus said something that one of the officers of the high priest thought was offensive to the high priest. You remember this in John 18:22, and after Jesus said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? What was Jesus saying? He was saying, that's, that's, unjust. that's unjust. That's illegal. I'm still on trial. I haven't been convicted of anything. It's not right for you to strike me. Jesus, during his trial, graciously, yes, respectfully, yes, but directly confronts the injustice of the temple police and ultimately of the ruler. Paul was no different. He demanded his governmental rights to be granted after his wrongful arrest at Philippi. You remember he was arrested at Philippi as a Roman citizen. He was beaten, imprisoned. And the next day, they discovered, uh uh-oh, He's a Roman citizen. The law doesn't allow that. And so the city fathers said, look, let's just, let's just get him to leave quietly. Let's just kind of hush this whole thing over. But Paul said to them, Acts 16.37, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and they have thrown us into prison. In other words, they've broken the law. Roman law doesn't allow for this. They have violated the law. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let me translate that for you. Not going to happen. But let them come themselves and bring us out. Now, Paul wasn't being petty here. He's thinking about those new converts in the church in Philippi. He's looking to protect them. He wants to make it clear that Christians haven't broken laws and don't deserve to be treated like this. But he calls for justice to be done with the authorities that are over him later you remember when he, when he realized he was being railroaded through the legal system the roman legal system he appealed to caesar acts 2511 if then i am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death i do not refuse to die but if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me no one can hand me over to them i appeal to caesar he says this is unjust this is wrong And I'm not going to stand for it. I appeal for my legal rights. So Jesus then is not forbidding Christians from speaking out against or using every legitimate legal means to change unjust or oppressive laws. There's another thing Jesus doesn't mean. Jesus does not mean that you must obey even those human laws that are contrary to the Scripture. This is crystal clear. You remember in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are called before the, the Sanhedrin, the supreme court and president of the nation. And they say, stop witnessing, stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and the apostles answered in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Listen, when the law of God and the law of man come into conflict, there's no decision to be made. We must obey God. God. So, Jesus doesn't mean any of those things. So what does he mean? Well, Jesus' statement here has to do with our heart response to governmental attacks on our personal liberty. Let me show you why this is true. Notice, first of all, the the word force. The Greek word, the translated force there, means to press into service to force or to conscript, to draft. Both the Greek word that's here as well as the concept ultimately can be traced back to the Persians. And the Persians had their massive empire over the world at that time. They decided, the Persian kings, that nothing should delay the transmission of the king's decrees across the kingdom. And so the king made a law that the Persian royal post and its couriers had authority to conscript any person or any person's animal in order to get those decrees delivered. The Romans eventually adopted that same concept and even that same word. Any Roman soldier had the legal authority under Roman law to order anyone, and including Jewish people in first century Palestine, to stop what they were doing at any moment in time and to carry their pack or their baggage or whatever it was that was needed. It's interesting too, by the way, the, the Greek word that's translated mile here is actually a Latin word referring to the Roman mile, which was about nine-tenths of our mile. If you were conscripted like this, you had no recourse. What's the most famous example of this kind of conscription? It was during the crucifixion. In fact, the only other two places in the New Testament this word appears, it appears in the same basic context. Listen to Matthew 27, 32. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service. Same Greek word as in our text to bear Jesus' cross. Now, think about for a moment living in that culture when this could happen to you. Think of how infuriating it was to the Jews. And also, it was a constant reminder that they were in bondage to a pagan nation. Let's say for a moment you were going somewhere important. You were going to a neighbor or friend's wedding, and a Roman soldier happened to see you, you happened to be there when he needed you, and he exercised this authority And he stopped you in your path, said, I need you to carry this for a mile. You had no choice. No argument. You had to stop what you were doing and do it. So you tell me, what would be the normal human response with that kind of intrusion by government into your personal life? How would you respond? Well, they were angered by it. They resented it. And if they were forced to carry the load, they kept a careful eye on their little pedometer, and boy, when they got to nine-tenths of a mile, that load was going down. It's somebody else's turn. Also, as always happens with occupying armies, the Jewish people looked for small and subtle ways to carry out little acts of personal rebellion and revenge. So if you were waiting on a Roman soldier, before you came out of the kitchen, you, you spit on his food or if there was a small street, a narrow street down which they were marching, and and you could get away with it, you hurled a brick from over the wall and ran. And on and on it went. Jesus says, don't do that. How should followers of Jesus respond to such Roman indignities, to attacks on their personal liberty? Verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, this is... A Roman soldier conscripting you to do his bidding, interrupting your life, reminding you of your servitude, Jesus says, go with him too. When a Roman soldier demands that you carry his pack for a mile, I want you, Jesus says, to volunteer to go twice as far. Now, can we just be honest with each other? What Jesus is teaching here is radical in any age. And it certainly was at odds with what the Jewish zealots of the first century believed. It was even at odds with what the normal Jewish patriot felt. Jesus is saying that when government or government officials attack our personal liberty, we are not to respond with resentment, anger, grudges, and acts of personal revenge. And we are not merely to do what we are told by those officials, but with a heart of anger and resentment. Instead, we are to do it wholeheartedly, even being willing to go beyond what is demanded of us. And we must even seek the good of the person who's carrying out that unjust law. What is Jesus forbidding us from doing here? Well, clearly, he is forbidding passive Resistance and civil disobedience, even toward unjust rulers and laws. If you doubt that, look at Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 1. Every person, no exceptions, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Folks, that is our government at every level. Therefore, whoever resists governmental authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same Watch verse 4. For it, that is government, is a minister of God to you for good. You realize that even the worst human government is better than no government? Better than anarchy? I had just a tiny taste of that when we lived in Los Angeles during the L.A. riots, when the the government authorities were nowhere to be seen and people carried out whatever they wished. It's, It's an expression of God's common grace. Even bad government, to some extent, is an expression of that. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who breaks its laws. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of what might happen to you if you break the law, but also for conscience' sake before God. For because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God. Verse 7, Render to all what is due them tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Peter says the same thing in First Peter 2, verses 13 to 15. Listen, the only time that civil disobedience and passive resistance are allowed by Scripture is if government demands that we act contrary to the clear commands of Scripture. What else does this statement of our Lord forbid? I think it forbids armed revolution. Ironically, there were many at the time of the American Revolution who tried to use Romans 13 to say that Christians only have to submit to government if government's doing good and if they have a voice in that government. By the way, that obviously isn't what Romans 13 says. And if you want to know how they got there, I would really encourage you to read a book that uh, I'm reading right now, written by a friend of mine and a member of the Master's College faculty, the history faculty there. The book is entitled, The Religious Beliefs of the Founding Fathers by Greg Frazier. He takes not their public rhetoric, but their private correspondence and shows what they believe. But he also shows how the American pulpits turn Romans 13 on its ear
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 7 of his series, An Eye for an Eye. Tom will have Part 8 for you next time, and we do hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit the wordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed,